You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Thursday. It's Christmas Eve. I'm no Grinch because we have a new episode of Locked On Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Where's your team every day? I am your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire through USA Today Sports Media Group. And we are going to the Michigan mailbag. We didn't get quite everybody. We didn't get all of our leaders and best in, but we got most. So let's go to it, starting with James Critip at James Critip 6. If you were in charge, aside from choosing the defensive coordinator, what would be your next move? Um... That one's hard because there's a lot that needs work, right? It's not obviously you're you you got to shore up the defense, but you also got to get the offense humming. Uh, I would come up with a little bit more of a cohesive plan as far as deploying an offense. As far as obviously you know what you want to be, it just didn't really work this year. It started to work last year under with Shea Patterson. I think you've got capable guys. Again, I, I haven't lost the faith in Joe Milton that a lot of other people have. Cade McNamara obviously looked really good as well. Uh, so I think that, you, you, you know, you try to figure out what you do as far as personnel groupings. You try to figure out what what how, how you're going to deal with all of the different issues that you had. And you're bringing in a lot of guys that you can use right away. Xavier Worthy, Donovan Edwards. So you figure out, all right. This is how we're going to do it. The other thing I would do is re-implement some of the meritocracy stuff that was kind of gone by the wayside. Like, remember how a couple years ago uh, Chase Winovich said that he had he had told Harbaugh, like, hey, we got to stop having so much competition because people are mailing it in and everything. I think this being a younger group, like, I, I think that makes some sense when it comes to uh, to having the older group, uh, the, the the juniors and seniors that Michigan had a couple years ago compared to what they have now. You've, you've got to figure out a way to make this team a heck of a lot tougher than it's been. So that would be the other thing that I would be looking at. Finding a way to be tough, finding a way to be also precise because that's been the thing on defense. Like, that you know, we saw some precision in twenty from 2016 to 2018 – they just weren't, you know, they're making so many mistakes, mental mistakes. You got to find a way to curb that and try to bring up leaders. So, I mean, it's a, it's a laundry list, really, at this point, because this was a disaster. My brother in metal, Michael Wolf at MWolf21, what would you like to hear during the offseason that will make you believe things will be turned around for the 2021 season? I don't know that there's anything I can hear that's going to make me say, yeah, all right, you know, like, Michigan's still one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. Uh, you can, you know, everything that comes out of Schembechler Hall is always, and 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 with good cause in the sense of, you know, you you're the ones creating your own publicity, so they're never going to be like, listen, we're bad. <laughs> you know, we were bad last year. We're going to be bad again this year. That they're they're never going to say anything like that. But, uh, I mean, I guess I would want to hear that. Joe Milton is, and Cade McNamara are embroiled in the battle. J.J. McCarthy is a non-factor because these other guys 
have stepped up their game, that have been in the system for a while, that Joe Milton's making better decisions, that he's gotten rid of his happy feet, that the guys that were able to get some time in 2020, uh, that that was helpful, and you could see them taking giant steps forward, uh, that they have figured out ways defensively to negate any kind of, I mean, who knows what kind of defensive system is going to be brought in, but that they're going to be able to negate any issues that they had, like the fact that the quarterbacks were getting rid of the ball so early. That, I mean, really is, again, a laundry list of things. Um, I don't know that there's a thing, one thing out there that's going to make me say, all right, yep, problem fixed. I think it's going to have to be a, we'll believe it when we see it in 2021. Um. The other thing would probably also be the rotation stuff. We have figured out how we want to deploy our rotations. We specifically at running back, because that was as big of a debacle as anything was just not knowing how to handle the running backs room. And it's just going to get even tougher now with Donovan Edwards coming in. You've got to make some choices. My writer from Wolverine's Wire wrote a great piece on five things that you should know about Nebraska with the game coming up here. Trent Noop at Trent Noop. Do you think Michigan can be sneaky good next year? I mean, yeah, in the sense of the people who act like, you know, what what happened this year is an indication of future issues. Look no further to Notre Dame. And it's funny because I've seen this argument used against Michigan, but it should be used for Michigan in that Notre Dame went four and eight in 2016 and then slowly kind of turned things around, right? Like two years later, they're in the college football playoff. Two years after that, they're in the college football playoff. Uh, do they deserve to be there? I don't know. That's a different question, but there, there's something that can be said about staying the course. Uh, I, do, I don't think Jim Harbaugh has lo lost the ability to coach. I don't think he's lost the locker room. Uh, I've had enough messages from people in the know who, who said that, you know, and Harbaugh, they trust, so... Uh, I feel like that's uh, going to be the case. I, I just think staying the course and figuring out like, hey, we addressed, we found what our problems are, which, you know, are numerous. We've addressed those problems. And if they can find a way to get out there and just play cleaner, there's certainly a good chance that they could uh, do some stuff. If they're able to have spring ball, if they're able to have a traditional summer, fall camp, non-conference schedule, all that stuff would benefit Michigan, even if they do have to play uh, Washington right out the gates. We'll see how that all is taken care of. Jimmy Whitner at Jimmy Whitner 1, finishing us out in segment one. Do you think we sign anyone during the late signing period? Number two, what is Zuri getting for Christmas? I promise I'll not tell her. Uh, she already got her Christmas present, which is just uh, I got her at – she gets like a toy a week because she's always so destroying a toy a week. And she was, I was reticent to get her anything because she was a bad girl this uh, this week. She bit another dog. She got off the, she got, got, got away from my roommate and ran after a dog and bit the other dog. And there was a whole debacle. Um, anyway, so she already got her, her Christmas present yesterday, which was a, uh, it, it's got a stuffed animal with a squeaky toy. And then it's tug of war on the other side because she, she is the queen of the toys, as Matt Leach calls her. Queen of the toys. 
She does not, like, if you pick up a toy, she comes and gets it from you immediately. So the tug-of-war one, she loves playing tug-of-war, kind of plays in all factors. Yes, I do think that Michigan, to your first question, will sign some people during the late signing period. Uh, whether, I, I put out a bunch out there. Uh, there were a couple people that were on that list that were maybe they'll targets that they haven't really gone in that hard on. I was told that some of the people that they are looking at aren't really people that are that they're that people know they're targeting that they feel like they've got a good shot with. So put it that way. Uh, so we'll see uh, who they do. I'm sure that they will sign about five guys in the late signing period. All right, that will do it for segment one. We've got plenty coming up here, but you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit that reset button? Get ready for what's next. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time with work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit that reset button. That's when you reach for Coors Light because it's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and it's Coors Light. Listen, y'all know I don't drink anymore, but when I did, Coors Light was my light beer of choice. Starting in 2003, when I was 21, almost 22, that was the beer that I went with. It uh, was until pretty much uh, when I uh, when I hung it up <laughs> due to allergy issues. Uh, when I finally was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. But uh, I mean, it got me through some some tough games. Got me through the 2010 Ohio State game. Terrell Pryor. Devere Posey, all those names that you forgot about and probably always want to. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light's the one I choose when I, or used to choose when I needed to unwind. So when you want to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door. Get.CoorsLight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. One more thing I got to ask you, and it's, are you are we ready for some football? College football is already knee-deep into bowl season. It's just going to continue to get bigger and better. There's some big matchups coming up within this next week. NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clear, and there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for 50% welcome bonus. Listen, so many great NFL games coming up this week. Uh, if you want to watch the Detroit Lions without a coaching staff coming up against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, I think you got to take Tampa Bay. You got to take Tom Terrific. Uh, and then obviously, you got plenty of college football uh, games coming up here before too long. When I was going through the bowl list, I was just. Some of those games are really intriguing. Some of them, not so much. I'm really kind of weirdly excited for Auburn Northwestern. Anyway, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Okay. Let's go to Dan Walton at 3D Walton. Since Harbaugh gives his defensive coordinator full autonomy on that side of the ball, do you think the D.C. should be hired first so that he can have a say in the probable one or two other hires? Uh, I think Harbaugh would be re uh, would be wise to not give. I don't think he had that. Uh, DJ Durkin, I don't think he had that autonomy. But Don Brown certainly did. 
So I think he'd be wise, no matter who it is, to have a little bit more of a, um, you know, a little bit more of a say in it. You know, someone that he works a little bit more hand in hand with. So it's, uh, I think that that's, uh, but I do think that at the same time, the defensive coordinator should at least have some say in who's under, but that's usually not the case, right? Like sometimes you, you bring in a guy and you say like, who should we bring in? Who, who are your guys? Sometimes you bring in a guy and he's already got everyone working around him. Don Brown was one of those ones where he came in and he already had, you know, pretty much a full staff going. I mean, they elevated Chris Partridge from recruiting coordinator to uh, safeties coach. No, sorry. Yeah. Linebackers coach at the time. Linebackers coach. They had Brian Smith, who was a safeties coach that was replacing Greg Jackson, but they already had Mike Zordich. Um, I don't think that when they put together the original staff that he was asking DJ Durkin, like, all right, do you want Greg Jackson? Do you want Mike Zordich? I think he was just picking guys that he really liked. So I, I would say get rid of the guys that you think aren't pulling their weight and fill them with people that you might think could, regardless if you have a defensive coordinator hire or not. Zesty Zaddy at the underscore like B underscore show. Will Harbaugh's mismanagement of the roster and key positions also play the new defensive coordinator? Uh, I'd like to think that that's an aberration in the sense of it's really only been one year that you kind of look at the roster management and have been like, what are you doing? I don't, I don't recall that ever being a huge issue. I, I know sometimes you, you sit there and say, why was that guy on the bench? Like Cam McGrone? But, you know, that sometimes guys become ready earlier than you think. And in that case, that was the, the case and whatever. So, uh, no, I don't think that it will also necessarily plague the new defensive coordinator. I think we have to see what happens there. Uh, Mike also said, you and your family have a safe and Merry Christmas. Thank you to you as well. Uh, I like this one, and I'm against better judgment going to answer it. Adam Castle at Adam underscore Castle. Castle, I don't know how you pronounce it. Now that the OSU game didn't happen and Brown is gone, can you share a couple of the adjustments on D you heard about that would have made the big difference in the ability to slow down their O? All right, here's what I've heard. This is what I've been hinting at for a long time, for a year now. It wasn't that he wasn't making adjustments. They were making plenty of adjustments. The problem is the play calls themselves. What Don Brown was doing was he was calling the defensive plays himself. You know, you, you look on the offense and you see look to the sidelines. You got multiple people holding up signs with a bunch of different calls and whatever. And, you know, only they, you know, the players know how to decipher that. Opposite with Don Brown. Don Brown was using basically just a very small handful, like two or three gestures. And those gestures were figured out specifically by Ohio State. Now, some other schools had figured them out, but the thing was Michigan had such good athletes, it didn't really matter. So any of those games where you kind of look at and say, man, the defense what you know, could have been better, but they still managed to get the job done, a lot of times that's because the other sideline knew exactly what play was coming, but Michigan was still good enough. 
against Ohio State, imagine being in a scenario. Again, this is just what I was told. Imagine being in a scenario where you're playing against Ohio State that has the potent offense that it's had, and it knows 100% what you're going to do. So, obviously, you know how to exploit it. That is why that uh, you saw that happen in the last two years. No surprises for Ohio State because they knew everything that was coming. And the only thing they had to do if they were like, whoa, what is this? They'd motion their tight end. Michigan would reveal exactly what it was doing. And then you attack accordingly. Uh, and it was just a complete refusal from what I was told, a refusal by Don Brown to change his method of signaling in the plays to the players on the field. Put them at a disadvantage. That's what I had been hearing for for a while, and that's why I'm, my belief is Don Brown needed to modern. That's the one thing he needed to modernize. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. I thought I think it was a debacle. The you know the last couple years against Ohio State, this particular year overall was a debacle. But I mean, that's such a simple fix. And there were times where they were fixing it and reverted back to the old system. And you saw what happened. Zach Van Lenty at Lenty Zach. I'm sorry if this is too late. Merry Christmas. It's not too late, so thank you. Why isn't anyone talking about Greg Madison for defensive coordinator? Great D-line development recruiter, financially motivated to change teams. Could send a blow to OSU in the offseason as well if he should accept. Uh I think it's just because you feel like it's probably difficult to pry him away from Ohio State, even if he spent significantly more time at Michigan. I think that's interesting, though, and I don't think it's out of bounds. I think it's absolutely something that could happen. Uh, and I think that would be a great move, to be honest, because he's shown that he can do it in Ann Arbor as the defensive coordinator. But at the same time, you brought him on as a defensive line coach. You demoted him in the first place, and then he goes to the rival. It just feels like it's... It would be really difficult to say, hey, come back again, take a promotion, do your thing. That I think that's why. But I think, I mean, I think that could be a great move. I just don't know that they'll do it. Finishing us out in segment two, Jacob Chaveria, Jacob, 172-13950. Why do the college basketball rankings always sleep on Michigan? They act like we haven't averaged 25 wins the past decade. Even when losing all our talent year after year, it's time to accept that we're a basketball smooth school. Uh, smiling face with a tear. Um, that's the emoji. I, I don't know, but it's kind of it is kind of weird, right? Like Michigan has had a track record, especially when you look at the the success that it's had. You know, deep into the into the tournament on a seeming seemingly yearly basis, and I'm sure that last year would have been the same. It's funny because it's like, okay, well, they lost Xavier Simpson and John Teske. And I know they didn't, they didn't do great last at the end of last year. There were some, but I think when the injuries, uh, I shouldn't say were mounting, but I mean the Isaiah Livers injury played a key role and they really couldn't have lost him at a worse time. Uh, I think that, uh, I don't know. I just think that's funny because people don't do sleep on Michigan, Bas you know, as far as basketball is concerned. Ken Palm doesn't like if you look at Ken Palm, uh, which I will hear in a moment, 
And that's the one I use to kind of, as far as advanced analytics, to determine where teams are. I mean, Michigan's number 16. No, they're not the top Big Ten team because you still got Iowa, Illinois uh, ahead of them. But you know, 16 might seem a little low, but I think you know that's probably because they haven't looked dominant, like consistently dominant yet. But you know, I think that they probably should be closer to a top 10 team. They should get that benefit of the doubt uh, until they start to fall off a little bit. So I, I do think it's a team that's a work in progress, though, I think is part of it. So we will see if they're able to figure those things out, especially they've got this uh, road game against Nebraska tomorrow. And uh, where is Maryland on this list? I don't think Maryland is what it normally is. They're 47th, so they're, but they're 5-2. and two right now so i mean if you can win these next couple games and according to the espn fpi they're not supposed to lose until sometime next month uh before it was supposed to be uh in uh, in february but uh they they had them losing to indiana which is the 22 team five and three right now michigan's kind of owned indiana so it's kind of like hmm, i don't know they certainly could put together, or you know, tie their win streak from uh, from before. So we'll see. All right, let's talk real quick about Built Bar because I was supposed to do that on Monday, but I didn't have a podcast on Monday. Built Bar, if if you've heard me talk about it forever, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Uh, it's unbelievable. They've got so many different choices. I need to order another box of the maple pecan. Uh, because I tore through those. Uh, they were incredible. Uh, they're not gritty. They don't have an aftertaste. Uh, you don't need a bottle of water to wash them down. Uh, I think I told you before, and actually I know I did, that my one roommate, uh, when I had the strawberry ones, which was an October limited time one, he tore through them <laughs> without permission and was just like, he just like co- couldn't help himself. They were that good. So I'm telling you, go to Built Bar. Dot com. Put in promo code LOCKDOWN. Get 20% off of your next order. BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. 20% off of your next order. I put my money where my mouth is multiple times. I know a lot of you have as well. I'm telling you, BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. You won't regret it. All right. We got five, six, six finishing us out. Uh, JD Heb at JD Heb. Who starts at QB for Michigan next season? Dude, way too early to like. There's no inside track. I would literally just be guessing. Right, and I I will say this: I was wrong when I said that Joe Milton didn't have an injury. Uh, I had spoken to someone that had missed. We there was a miscommunication. He clearly did have a hand injury. He had surgery for it. Uh, so. Uh, you got that. I don't know how Cade is doing right now. You're bringing in J.J. McCarthy. I I have no idea who's going to start at quarterback for Michigan next season. Could be Cade. Could be Joe. Could be J.J. Could be other. Who knows? Will at Willie Will 9. I know there's a lot of focus on D in the D.C. position. My question is about the O. I love Gaddis and believe in him, but I'm not sure what the offensive identity is. Too much talent to be this underwhelming. Was it OL or QB play? Is there a reason to believe it gets fixed in 2021? 
Uh, what I don't get is I think you saw what the identity was supposed to be against Minnesota, right? True pro spread, pro style elements. They used the fullback. They did all kinds of stuff. Now Ben Mason's gone, so that's uh, you know, you you don't have that fullback to use anymore. But you know, using the tight ends, doing all that kind of stuff. It pro style elements in a spread formation and you know they're they were utilizing a lot of west coast offense type tenets and then they just went away from it completely it seemed like michigan state came i I mean i'm with you in the sense of i didn't understand what don't know what the identity was because you know you had this game against minnesota and it's not just that minnesota was bad yeah minnesota was bad but it's not just that but like what michigan was running was different against Minnesota. Like the what Michigan was trying to do offensively was different against Minnesota compared to what it did that from there on in. Like against Minnesota it was like, well, they're speed in space. And then after that, it was just like, all right, we're gonna run a condensed formation. All right, we're gonna run just, you know, straight power looks in the run game okay, we're going to get away from the run game. And it just felt like drop back, hope and pray. The offensive line did struggle early after Minnesota and it got better. It got a heck of a lot better. Huge credit to Ed Warner. Uh, the quarterback situation got worse. Joe Milton admittedly got happy feet and he, that you could see it at, you know, Michigan state, Indiana, and then it seemed like he lost all confidence by Wisconsin. And when we saw him against Rutgers and when we saw him against uh, Penn State, it just it, it looked like a dude that had no confidence in what he was doing. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of separation from the wide receivers. And when there was, it didn't seem like there was either the recognition or the OL was letting up. I think that they just were like overconfident and that's the the coaching staff the players i think after the minnesota game it was like yeah we're so sweet we can go out there and do anything and it wasn't the case like you got to have the the killer instinct the hard work the will to go out there and do that and i just felt like that wasn't really there after the minnesota game like Reminds me of the 2004 Pistons or post after that, right? It was like, well, we already won a championship. So, you know, like they could just cruise. That's kind of what it felt like. Scott Ryan at S Ryan 713. Do you think we'll ever see a true number one running back, a guy who gets 20 to 25 carries a game? I mean, yeah, but maybe not soon just for the sake that you've got so many guys that can help you. But I think that you need to have that kind of on a weekly basis someone will emerge right like you can do what you you can mess around with running backs because keep in mind Karan Higdon when he cemented himself as the true number one running back he wasn't expected to be that guy he was probably the third guy on that list in 2017 because Chris Evans got the first start then Ty Isaac got a couple starts then Higdon got a start and then went back to Ty Isaac, and then it went back to Higdon, and Chris Evans had a game in there against Purdue. It wasn't until 
the Indiana game, which was like week five or six or something like that, that finally Higdon kind of took the ball and ran with it. So I think you just got to be smarter about how you handle the rotations, right? You can you can mess around with putting taking guys in, putting them out. My issue is more that, like, okay, now if a guy goes in and gets, like, two yards on two consecutive carries, time to try the next guy. And then bring that guy in again, like, it, but if a guy goes out and does, like, and I've said this a million times, Zach Charbonnet has a 70-yard touchdown on his first carry. Well, next time you're out there on offense, put Zach Charbonnet right back in. Don't let him languish. Like, feed the hot hand, and once they, if they, you know, have a couple where they don't look, you know, that good, then bring in your next guy, right? See who, see who's going to be the hot guy. And then that, you know, whoever gets hot and stays hot is your number one. I have no problem with them splitting duties like they did last year with Charbonnet and Haskins. I thought that was perfect, right? One of them was bound to get hot in any given game. Heck, even against Alabama, both of them did pretty well. But, I mean, they just, it was just too many cooks. And just illogical the way that they kind of played it out. Motown Mark and GB at Mark A. Perna. I don't know if uh, that's Grand Blank or Green Bay or other. What's taking so long to announce the Harbaugh contract situation? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, I'm not going to pretend to know. I have no idea. You figure it's, it's, it, they they probably have some kind of. I see some rumblings out there on the internet of like, well, you know, he, he might still not be back, and it's just like, I, again, I think that the people saying that are more wishfully thinking based off of their own agenda, because I don't think there's any way that they would have signed a lot of the guys that they signed if Harbaugh wasn't coming back, if there wasn't like at least some principles that were agreed upon and that they have to hammer out all the other stuff. Hopefully it happens before too long, but, and people are going to feel uneasy until it happens. So myself included Noah Feldstein at NF 1495. Do you target a transfer portal or grad transfer QB with experience? QB room will still be very light on experience next year with Milton being the most experienced if he stays. No, I think you, at this point, Milton's been in the program for, this will be his fourth year. This will be Cade's third year. At some point, you're going to have to be able to trust guys who have been in the program for a little while and not sit there and say, well, he doesn't have experience. I think you ride with the guys you've got, personally. I don't think that you need to blow it up. Listen, like Ohio State next year, they're going to go with, you know, a guy who doesn't have experience. Last year, they went with Justin Fields, who didn't have experience. You've got to be able to be confident that you're grooming guys to get ready and be ready, regardless of how ill-equipped they were this year. Again, this is a weird year. This was the one year where you probably really needed spring ball, fall camp, and didn't have it. Now, you can probably correct a lot of those mistakes, and we'll see what happens. Finishing us out... Lawn steak ball at lawn steak ball. I don't know what that means, but okay. Does having a three-year-old at home make it harder for someone 55-plus years old to coach a D1 football program? 
Uh, I'll put it this way. He's had a three-year-old at home multiple times throughout his coaching tenure, uh, whether it was at Stanford, you know, we'll go San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco. Harbaugh has a lot of kids. What, seven kids or something like that? And a lot of his kids are around that 10 to 15-year-old range. I don't think that's the issue. All right, that'll do it. I'm going to have a Christmas Day episode because I want to. So we'll figure that out uh, on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to all. Happy holidays to those who don't celebrate Christmas. I might celebrate uh, Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.